that is the part that enjoys the craft and you're thinking about well how do we enjoy this conversation and how do we actually create something that's useful for people and it's like the controlling the inputs rather than outputs is kind of how i've thought about it and it's exactly yeah. that like if i know i can ship every wednesday then i've won and if i can enjoy the conversation then i've already won if 10 people listen or a million people listen that's the upside and of course you have to balance it in your bigger life right like you know it costs me time and money to make this so i have to reevaluate but if I can enjoy it enough, then it makes it worthwhile. Yeah. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Santa Cruz, a.k.a. Rabbi Kenlos, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In this episode, I'm actually interviewed by Bilal Zaidi of Creator Lab. He has an awesome YouTube channel called Creator Lab and podcast of the same name, Creator Lab. Check it out. He interviews a lot of one percenters like Gary Vaynerchuk, Scott Harrison, and your very own Noah Kagan. I don't know how I ended up there. But if you've ever wanted to learn about how to find work that makes you never want to retire, you are going to love this episode. In this conversation, you're going to learn three gigantic things plus a bunch more. Number one, when to stop versus keep going. Like this episode, keep going, listen to the whole thing. Number two, how to rethink old mental models of money and happiness. Number three, making asymmetric bets with money and investing. That word asymmetric always sounds so good. Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, number one, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash okdork. Come on, you're part of the cool club. Number two, make sure you subscribe to AppSumo.com, the number one site for entrepreneurs just like yourself. That's AppSumo.com. And number three, we have SleekBio.com. So get that cool link on your Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Grindr, OnlyFans, whatever. Go to SleekBio.com. That's S-L-E-E-K bio.com. It's totally free. I use it. SleekBio.com slash Noah. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener Mr. Kovacs from the US of A. That sounds like my lawyer's name. He said, small business radio show. I love listening to Noah Kagan and his guests. Well, guess what? I love my listeners just like yourself and every other one of you out there. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to the show. I check every single one of them. Booyakasha. What's up, Bilal? You sound like, you sound like Ali G. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we, now we're getting started. <laughs> um, so listen, man, look, I've been following you for a long time. Um, I've seen your stuff from ages ago, even with Mixer G, Andrew Warner, and, and wow. stuff that you've done with him. So I'm kind of old school with it too. And uh, it's cool now. We've even got questions from Andrew Warner for today's episode with you on Great Lab. So it's all coming full circle, dude. Let's go back a little bit in time um, and talk about your time at Facebook um, just briefly, because I know that was some time ago. You were employee number 30 there. So just talk to me a little yeah. bit about that time, place me in time. When was that? And uh, what was it like back then? Do you ever see the show Married with Children? I haven't, to be fair, but <laughs> no, it's okay. It's an American show. It's pretty popular. But Al Bundy was the lead character, and in in high school, he scored four touchdowns in one game. And then in the show, he's like a fifty year old guy, father, and he's always talking about how in high school he scored four touchdowns. <laughs> and it and reminds is, me of is Facebook. that reminding like, you right now? <laughs> yeah, it's like man, that, it's a long time ago. I think I was having breakfast with uh, my good friend Andrew Chan and Sam Parr, and I think yeah. what's interesting about Silicon Valley mentality is no one they care about what you've done, but they also care what you're doing next. Like one of the yeah. favorite questions in Silicon Valley is like, what are you up to? What's next? What's next? It's like, dude, I just sold a billion dollar company. Yeah. But what are you doing next? <laughs> and uh, so sometimes I, you know, the Facebook things feels historic, but uh, it also feels like, it feels like a separate life that I got to live and also a, a blessing. Like I feel very uh, fortunate. I got to even be a little part of uh, a company that's dramatically impacted the world. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, it sounds like you might not want to talk too much about Facebook, but <laughs> which is completely cool. But no, go on, go on. What are you, what are you thinking? No, I mean, I, I, it's not that I'm happy to share, right? It's a really interesting company. Not a lot of people talk about it uh, that were internal as early as I was. 
I think what's, what's challenging though, is that my memory and my nostalgia changes the story. Right. And it's like, Hey, so what did you learn there? It's like, I learned a lot, but how much of it is, you know, just what I'm imagining. But honestly, it was, it was one of the highest growth phases of my life in terms of like profession, truly professional growth. Like probably the biggest 10 X of my skills was just being there. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, well, I, I guess the only reason I bring it up, and you've told this story before, so we don't need to spend the whole you know, time talking about Facebook and Mint. Um, but I think the reality of what it's like to work for a lot of those companies is often very different to what people might think. And I think especially just you were number four at Mint, uh, you're number 30 at Facebook. It sounds like you left fairly quickly, like within a year or two, I think you had left yeah. both. And, and you've shared before that you were fired from Facebook, so that's not like anything new there. But I think even then people think, oh, you must have had some stocks and that made you all this money and then you did all this later. And I've dug into your stuff quite a bit to know you that wasn't the case. Like you were sleeping on your friend's couch and, you know, yeah. hitting rock bottom before you ended up doing AppSumo. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to share about it because I think it's an interesting, it's old. But anyways, to the stuff that I think is helpful, it's not just about my story. It's like, how does yeah. this help the audience Completely. Uh, that's consuming this material? So for me... I think one of the key things, especially if you're early in your career, or even if you're later in your career and you want to have like a, an encore or a different type of change, I think being at any company that's hyper growth is life changing. And so if you can get that opportunity to either create it or be a part of it, I would do whatever it takes to do that. And I've been very fortunate in my life to experience that numerous times. And at Facebook, I think one geographically, I was in a place that made it easy for me to get that job. I was blessed and lucky to be born in the Bay Area. But if you're somewhere in Europe, if you're in America and you want to change your career and you want to be around the best, you probably got to change where you live. It might be a little bit different with remote work, but still, for the most part, it's still going to be the you know California for a lot of tech, finance, New York, you know, entertainment is LA. And at, at Facebook, man, it was a it's a life changing experience being around the smartest people in the world, working on a product. And I think this is a key thing for a lot of people. It was working on a product that I believed in so deeply, like I, I wouldn't have killed myself or given up my life for it. But that's pretty much the level that it was at. And I think what Mark did there early on, I don't know if he's doing as much today, is that he had such a gigantic vision. I think a lot of these people, I don't know about yourself with your show, or even at AppSumo sometimes, it's like, what do you want to do? You know, we, it's like, we want to change every single entrepreneur's life. So if someone's like a micro entrepreneur, or they want to be a solo entrepreneur, or they want to side hustle, it's like, we want to change and, and impact everyone at AppSumo. And Mark had this vision as a 23-year-old to be like, I want to connect everyone on the planet. It was just wild, right? Like, especially at, at that age. Yeah, man. yeah. yeah. <laughs> most I mean, he, like, he's, I want to get done it. Yeah, yeah most of them, like, I want to do drugs and party in Vegas. He's like, <laughs> I'm here to connect the planet. And I'll tell you that that then cascaded to hiring the best people in the world to having the best investors in the world, and having a really amazing experience to, to be able to accomplish that that large of a vision. What are you doing nowadays with AppSumo? Because a lot of people have maybe come across AppSumo, but you've actually got multiple parts of that company. Um, yeah. So yeah, just like high level, what, what are you guys up to? You know, AppSumo today, AppSumo is the number one site online for software deals. Uh, so we've created a, a gigantic marketplace for people that are starting or growing businesses. So someone like yourself, who's becoming a you know a content creator and running your own business, if you're trying to start it or grow it, you go to AppSumo.com and you could buy software or tools, basically all the things you need to know to grow a business online. And so there's products, I don't know, there's a bunch of products from like software tools to like courses on how to be a hacker, as well as we've created some of our own products to help people do that too. Got it, man. And and it's an eight-figure business, right? Is what's been reported. So it's uh, well, I don't know. You're, you're yeah, this year your we'll do around seventy million dollars. Uh, Amazing. Okay. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, I think what I don't like about businesses when you you hear these entrepreneurs, one, no one cares about revenue. People care about profit, unless you're in Silicon Valley, they only care about your valuation. 
I do this thing old school. It's like you kind of make profit. I know people don't talk about it nowadays. I think beyond that, what gets missed when people talk about revenue are their employee size, which I still am surprised how that's a bragging number. It's more it's like, what's the impact? And for me, like with my YouTube channel, uh, like youtube.com slash okdork or absolute.com specifically, it's like, how about the people's software that we've promoted or the people who've actually bought those products and used it and now making a lot more money in their own businesses? And I, I think that's stuff that I try to remind myself as well as the team. I think that's, that's probably why with YouTube, I respond to every single comment. Like almost every single comment on YouTube, I reply to personally because it's like, hey, I'm doing this because I enjoy the, like, the activity that the other person takes from taking my content or from buying a product on our business. Yeah, and I love that approach, man. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. So from your time with AppSumo and all the other products that are part of that family, like, are there a few people that come to mind that you've met through that process that have used your products and then built their own businesses, changed their lives, anything like that that comes to mind? All the time. It's actually, I, I, sometimes I, I'm surprised. But I think one of the most rewarding things as a creator, whether it's content or software or a physical thing, is seeing someone use it, right? Like yeah. actually seeing someone use your thing in the wild. You're like, like we have sendfox.com, which is email marketing. And it's, it's affordable email marketing for content creators. And I see people sending an email with it. And I get the email just because I'm, I'm subscribing. And that's been amazing. Or I'm trying to remember this name, but someone was an AppSumo customer, bought some of our products consume some of the content that I put out there that helps entrepreneurs grow businesses. And he's like, yeah, I have a seven figure company today. Like I literally just got someone sliding in my DMs, which people can slide in my DMs at Noah Kagan. And he was like, yo man, I like got a business because of what you've been able to share. And I'm like, that is why I'm alive. Yeah. No. And I, I feel like that comes across because like you'll see on Twitter, I tweeted this a couple of days ago that we're recording together and a bunch of people responded with questions and stuff like that. And um, I could just tell from, our short interaction, we've had a few texts back and forth. I've met people on your team, like the CEO and the head of marketing I've spoken to in like Twitter spaces and stuff like that. And, and they just seem to love what they're doing. <laughs> and even just going back all the way to those old interviews with like someone like Andrew, I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, but you, you seem to be like a genuine guy and you seem to be genuinely like happy and energetic all the time, which I'm sure is not the case. Like I'm sure there are times you're not feeling like that as well, that we don't get to see. Of course, maybe your, your close people do. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious, no, is, that, is that a reality or not really? I do office hours on my YouTube channel every Friday. So every Friday at noon central, I am on YouTube. Whether I'm depressed or whether I'm like, you know, on the top of the world, I do it. And it's, it's interesting to be that way. And I think part of my appeal, and I think the way I've been able to relate to a lot of people and build a community is that I'm accessible. Not that you can just, I'm not going to reply to every email, but it's relatable. It's like, oh, that's another guy that I'm actually maybe smarter than that has ups and downs and is open to sharing them. And I can do what he's doing. And maybe I can go beyond. And I think that's part of my appeal where it's like, I call my the audience the underdogs. I don't call them my audience. I call them the, because I don't own them. Yeah, I think that there's, there's like nuances in our language. And, uh, you know, the same thing that goes with our company is that no one works for me. I don't have a boss. I don't want to be anyone's boss. And, you know, one of my favorite books of all time is Maverick by Ricardo Simler. I think it's a phenomenal material about like people don't want, they want to do whatever the hell they want to do. And how do we enable that? Either through, you know, working at AppSumo.com as well as, you know, sharing things. Like I put out a video today. It's like, hey, go find work you want to do. And that's all you have to do. The reason a lot of people listen to this show is that we kind of get, well, first of all, I'm not a real journalist, right? Like I'm just an operator like yourself. I've worked in real companies. I have my own company as well, separate to this. And so I'm not as refined as other people, but I can at least relate to a lot of the things that you might have gone through in some ways. And what we like to do is try our best to like paint the authentic picture of what's going on. So 
like, yeah, from the outside, people are saying, hey, dude, why is this guy on 11 out of 10 all the time energy wise, which is what Louis said in the Twitter thread in a good way. He was saying, like, how can I get on his level? Andrew Warner replied saying the same thing. But like, maybe we can share a little bit more of the other side because, you know, yeah. there are t other downtimes and, and stuff where you're not feeling so hot. And I know yeah. even early on before AppSumo, it feels like you might have hit a bit of a low before you found uh, something that ended up becoming quite Whoa. successful. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a journey. When you see, you know, Elon Musk or maybe people, no, I'm not at Elon's level, uh, but you see me and you're like, oh, he's, you, it's kind of this, this woman said it to me recently. She's like, on Instagram, you're only seeing the best pictures. Yeah. It's the highlight reel. Yeah. You're only seeing that. And the majority of, of people's time, the most successful people is they're working. Like, so people, mm. when they apply for a job at AppSumo.com, they're like, these guys are partying. They're having fun on the internet. It's like, <laughs> most of my day is like this. <laughs> yeah, completely. Or texting or calling or, or hustling, you know? And I think the, the outside part is the 1% and the 99%. That you know, I, I think more people just need to reflect on like, how much am I consuming and how much am I creating? And if yeah. you can just imbalance that where your creating time is higher than your consuming time, I think you'll have a, a level of success that you want. I think for myself in terms of feeling good and, and not, it still happens to this day. There's just different experiences. So I put out a video on Tuesday called why me and my friends spent a hundred thousand dollars on virtual cats. I saw that. Yeah, that was brilliant. And, uh, <laughs> no one watched, I mean, okay, relatively on our channel, no one watched it. And I think that's a really fascinating part about business is like, what happens when it doesn't go the way you want? And someone asked me, they're like, what do you think is really the most successful traits of people? Like for the people you want to hire, the people you admire, what is the two traits? And I think there's the two key things that in terms of like how you're feeling is your attitude. You can control that. You control your attitude. And look, I still feel like shit and I'm like a little poor sport sometimes and all that stuff. But the people I hire, the one I'd be around, I want people that are positive because that makes me more positive. And the second thing in terms of just things going well or not, like this video is persistence. That's all. That's when I'm looking to hire people, I'm of course, smarts and all that stuff. But like, how are their attitude about things and how is their persistence? And so I'd say with the YouTube thing, like we put out this video, not a lot of people watched it. And so what's interesting, though, is saying, did I do the work I wanted to do? Like, there's a great book, uh, The Score Will Take Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. Are you familiar with this book? Yeah, no, no I haven't read it, but I know, I know I've heard it mentioned a few times. You might want to read it, but the summary of the book is just focus on the inputs because you can't control the outputs. And so with this video, it's did I do a video I wanted to do? Am I proud of the video? And do I think it helps people? Yes. I can't really control an algorithm as much as possible. So I was disappointed in that day. But then it's like, all right, well, what can I learn from this video so that I can do a video I enjoy and gets a little bit more attention? So we put out a video today about how I retired at 30 and it's popping off. Let's go into that a little bit more because I've shared this on the show before that I've had that transition as well, where if you look at my the history of the podcast, I started this recording in 2015. I had a job at the time. I used to work at Google back then and I launched it in 2016. It took me like eight months because I was like recording a bunch up front and I was just doing it on the side. And then fast forward, I kind of did it like on and off for like a few years. And then I went full time two years ago. And, Congrats, and then, man. Oh, thanks man. And Congrats. even then I didn't, I didn't like do it straight away full time because I was trying to, I wasn't earning any money. I was trying to figure out how to do stuff. And then since last August, I've been doing one pretty much every, I've been doing it every week, every Wednesday since then. You're doing great. Uh, and dude. Th thanks dude. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where, the big change is 
Of course, people like us, I'm sure, like we like numbers in a way, like we naturally might just be growth people, right? Like I am like that anyway. And naturally, you look at numbers, and you're like, okay, what's working? What can I tweak? How can I optimize? How can I increase the CTR yeah. on YouTube and stuff like that? And that's the natural way of being. But then the other side is the pure creative side, which I definitely have, and I'm sure you do too. And that is the part that enjoys the craft. And you're thinking about, well, how do we enjoy this conversation? And how do we actually create something that's useful for people? And and it's like the controlling the inputs rather than outputs is kind of how I've thought about it. And it's exactly yeah. that. Like if I know I can ship every Wednesday, that then I've won. And if I can enjoy the conversation, then I've already won. If 10 people listen or a million people listen, that's the upside. And of course, you have to balance it in your bigger life, right? Like, you know, it cost me time and money to make this. So I have to reevaluate. But if I can enjoy it enough, then it makes it worthwhile. Yeah. Do you feel like you've got to that point now because you have got a bit more financial security and you, you can potentially like, you know, create the life that you want? Do you think that it's as easy doing that early on? When I was 28 and I started AppSumo, and this is what I would encourage everyone to think about is how do you, one, live a low cost life so you can do whatever the hell you really want? Unless what you really want to do is be a drug addict. I don't think you'll be very successful. You could be, I guess, being successful there, you do a lot of drugs. But for me, it was like, how do I live a low cost life so I could really work on what I want to do, which to me was like promoting things. I'm, I'm a promoter. I'm an evangelist. And it was like, hey, I can make a company promoting software that I already like and get a deal on it, which I even love. And then guess what? I can make 3000 bucks a month. And now I don't have to work for anyone ever again. And so I think the, the thing I've always encouraged people is imagine you have $10 million in the bank right now. What do you want to do today? And then just go do that. And so the thing that most people don't do is they don't plant the seed. Plan it right now. Like you want to do a podcast? Put on an episode today. Record it on your phone. You want to be a YouTube star? Like literally just use your phone. What's up, YouTube? I'm going to talk about fishing or whatever topic you're interested in and do it right now because this stuff takes time. And the winners, the only thing I've noticed with winners is they're consistent. That's really the biggest thing with, with all these things is that they like, and including myself, I'm not great at it. And so I've had to figure out systems because I've been great at starting things. I started so many different companies, like over 20. I've started so many different like kind of content things and it was just sticking with it. And so figuring out what do I need to make this stuff sustainable? And that's honestly, you can do, you do anything for 10 years, you're going to be successful, period. Let's go into that a little bit more. So what yeah. I generally agree with you, but I guess the part where I might push back is that there's some people who need to realize like when they need to quit as well, right? Because there's some things that don't necessarily, but oh, let me rephrase that. Yeah, no, sometimes, no, no, I like where you're going. Yeah, I think there's sometimes there's a skill of knowing when you need to keep going and when you need to push back. It's like a continuum and you're like, do I take this step or do I take this step? So, uh, yeah. and, and I give an example, like you could be working on something for 10 years and it might just not be, you know, you might enjoy doing it, but it might never be self-sustainable. And there's plenty of people who, who do do that, I, I think. Um, but then there's the other side, which is you keep hitting, you know, roadblocks and then you need to push through, which is essentially entrepreneurship in its essence so yeah. i don't know i mean what what do you think about that like knowing when the right time is yeah. to stop when, because when... you could have many projects going on at once so there's a book called the dip well i don't know it's like a book report it's like a book club meme. <laughs> but it's by seth godin and i wouldn't recommend anyone to buy it because you, you read the book and it's like when to quit it's like i don't know uh so but you we want these answers so i'll just give some ex stories in my own life Number one, AppSumo started 11 years ago. If we stopped doing, we've built all these different tools. KingSumo, we built monthly1k.com, of course. We have SendFox, we have TidyCal, Sumo.com, HallDrop, MeetFam. If we would have only just done AppSumo in that time, AppSumo would be probably a $200 million business. 
in terms of the focus. Like this one is working really well, just do that. And I think that's a powerful lesson to kind of share with others where it's like, yes, you have three businesses working, just do one. Most of the wealthiest people on earth have one very successful company. That's kind of a a powerful lesson of just the power of focus. And when you're starting any type of business or even a, a content creator company like yourself and like like I'm doing with YouTube, you kind of know if it's working. And what I mean by that is Twitter took three years to finally hit critical mass, but you can see from the stats, you're like, oh, the retention is probably high. Same with Facebook. Facebook wasn't exploding, but it was doing really well. And the retention was like 80, 90%. So there's some indicators that this is going to be a large thing. The way we do it, the two things I'd recommend is at AppSumo, the way we do it professionally is we can spend up to a million dollars in 12 months. And if it's not clear, we're going to break even in that time frame, we kill it. So now we're like really extreme on like, we killed Hall Drop, we killed Meet Fam. We're not supporting a lot of the other things really aggressively. And it's like, if it doesn't do it, just focus on the core, which is AppSumo.com. From a content creator perspective, two stories. One, I started a podcast. It did relatively well. I got to 30,000 downloads an episode, which is actually a top podcast. But because my goal was 100,000 downloads an episode, and I wasn't even close after a year, I gave up. I gave up. And if I would have stuck with it and been at 30,000 downloads, it might have been at 50 now and been you know top 10 podcasts in business. And my point there, I said it earlier about if you had $10 million in the bank is find something you want to do for free and figure out how to make it sustainable. So for YouTube, for instance, I found a way to hire a team and do videos that I'm going to do for free, even if no one watches. And I'm just enjoying learning and creating that content. And the more that you can do that, I don't think I ever want to quit. The thing I've noticed though, is that you have to get, you do have to get some reward or some way to kind of figure out how to sustain. So maybe it's like the types of videos, maybe it's engaging in the comments. Like I get engaged with people that watch my content and go take action. And they tell me about it. I'm like, that's so cool. So I think for each person out there, find something you do for free and then figure out how do you sustain it for the next 50 years? I've heard you talk about this a little bit before. And you also mentioned um, what you do for free and also what you did as a kid, which I thought was quite interesting. Oh, I love that I one. think, yeah. And, and I, I'm, I think we were, were probably similar types of kids. Like we were, we liked computers. We might have been into business eventually, uh, but like just messing around on a computer. And as I've grown older and I've got like experience in big companies and then went to a smaller place, what I realized was like at my core, I love being on a computer and like figuring stuff out, like teaching myself to do video editing, even though now I have a video editor and just like, but that's that craft of like diving into something is what I did when I was 12 years old. So it's an interesting thing where like when you're doing that, you're enjoying it enough at the same time, the expectations and your life responsibilities change. Right. So when I'm 12, I can kind of afford to be (laughs) up all night, like teaching myself (laughs) Photoshop. And now I'm like, Oh, I need to like, and enough money to pay my rent and you know all the other things i have so i guess is there like finding a balance of course is important there are there questions you ask yourself to think about what are the things that are giving me energy like they did when i was a kid um, you ever been in a meeting with someone and you're trying to imagine them as like a 12 year old <laughs> are you doing it right now <laughs> a little bit right we are we're all a child at some point and now we're, we're more adult like or uh, yeah. still be childlike and have fun but sometimes I'm like, is this really what you want to be doing? And yeah. it's just kind of, I think everyone should be asking themselves that. And that doesn't mean it has to be an entrepreneur. I think there's this, this misnomer that, or maybe it's a misnomer, misconception, like you have to be an entrepreneur to be happy and have freedom. That's not true. Mm. You could work at a company like AppSumo.com, get to do work you love, do it from wherever and live a great life that you want to live. It's just figuring out what those things are that give you energy. And I think people, I think more people settle than they realize and in all in different aspects of my life. Like I'm almost 40 single. 
And I was feeling a little discouraged about that. And my friend, uh, Andrew last night was like, well, you just haven't settled for anything. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Like in my professional life, I've finally now at 39 found work that I want to do for the next 50 years. And, and I'm okay with it. I think I've struggled with being okay with that. I thought as an entrepreneur, and I don't label myself as an entrepreneur, but as, a, as Noah, I was like, oh, this next business is going to make me finally feel fulfilled. This next accomplishment or amount of money, I'll be satisfied. And it generally is not the case. Because like, as you yeah. know, don't get any stickers. I want more stickers. <laughs> you know, there's no more stickers. There's no more awards. And so it is finding the work or the activities that you're doing for free that is giving you that enjoyment. I think in terms of the question, I think you said it yourself, Bilal. You said it really well. What gives you energy and what is taking away energy? Mm. So hanging out with you, sharing stuff, talking about this kind of gives me a lot of energy. Like, like that's why you probably are like, damn, this guy's got a lot of energy. Yeah, because I'm doing things that give it. And I <laughs> yeah. think more people, like the easiest thing to do is look at your calendar and think about, every, this is what I do every Sunday. What things am I really excited to do this week? Mm. Is there videos I'm making? Are there people like you, like I really wanted to talk to? Is there like activities? Maybe it's mountain bike. You're like, today I'm going to go flying after this meeting. And it's like, You're going I'm flying. really excited to go. Yeah, I'm getting my pilot's license. Oh, dude, that's and crazy. That's super it is fun. Cra- well, this will be there when I'm dead. It's like, oh, yeah, I talked to that bloke. <laughs> um, but I, the point being is that I think people should just look at their schedules, see what's exciting. Even if you have a day job, is there any part of your week you're excited? And if not, probably change your job or figure out how to do things in the morning, at night, weekends. And the same thing with friendships. I think, you know, you said it really well. What is giving you energy and what's taking it away and being mindful of that? I feel the same with like social media. Like I went through a purge last year of uh, not necessarily like on the on Instagram and Facebook where I don't actually spend as much time anymore anyway. But like Twitter, I like unfollowed so many old accounts I'd followed. And honestly, I followed a lot, unfollowed a lot of like news channels and stuff like that because I, I still read the news in a, in a daily summary, but I don't want to yeah. read the news all day personally because it just... One is kind of repetitive and boring, and two, it just it just yeah. triggers you, and you, you just kind of go down the spiral. So for me, I like fill that that feed with stuff that's interesting. It stimulates my mind. It might be funny, uh, you know, something. And and it's yeah. all again about the energy that it brings. What gives you energy? Like what's up in this week? Today it's it's Thursday, but like of this week, what's giving you the most energy? What's sucked the most? Yeah, good question. I, I mean, I think for me, I've done this exercise before, like formally, like written it down. It's actually the reason I started the podcast was because I looked at the stuff that I was naturally good at or naturally enjoyed. And for me, it's really just like having interesting conversations is one of the top things. And that doesn't mean always a podcast. It means hanging out with friends. Even for my job, jobs in the past, it was like I used to work in sales. So I would go and like meet clients and speak to them or like do a new business pitch. I would get a rush from that feeling. Um, what I didn't like was like the weeks of prep and like being in meetings about a meeting and all that stuff. So now I've got rid of a lot of that through the my current setup, but I still get to have like, I have some clients for my consultancy business I have and I meet them like a couple of times a week, you know, and I get that kind of like flavor of an office and I get to see my impact on their business. And then I don't need to go to the other 20 meetings about OKRs and all the other stuff that I don't really care as much about. So um, I'd say that's probably the part that gives me the most energy. And then honestly, another part, another reason I do the podcast is I would be doing this stuff for free anyway, in terms of if I got to hang out with you for a couple hours and have coffee or go for dinner, we would probably be speaking just like this. And in fact, before I used to do all of these in person, so it kind of was like that. 
And then also, if you think about the prep, I, I might spend five, 10 hours sometimes preparing for interviews. And that is because I'm like listening to the conversations, writing stuff down, thinking about the ideas that I want to hear about. And I would be doing that for free anyway, because I like learning about that stuff. So yeah, I guess those are the ones that come to mind right now. What about you? What gives me energy in the week? I, you know, making videos. So like I recorded a video yesterday about why I'm leaving Austin. And I'm not entirely leaving Austin, but I'm looking to get a second house. And I was, it was just fun. It was like interesting as a creative process to think about how do I make this educational? Because who cares about Noah? It's like, how does this help anybody else who's thinking about moving or wants to live different places? So making content that I'm excited to share is really uplifting. Interviewing or having conversation more. I don't like, inter I think the word interview just is a bad word. Because it's like, I think people, no one wants to hear an interview. They want to hear a conversation. Yeah, it's just kind of fun to talk about like, hey, what's on your mind? What have you been exploring? Those are like professionally the things. And then like activity wise, like flying has been really interesting for me because it's scary. And I, I don't know if I like it, but I like the, the challenge of it. And then you have physical activities. Like if I go mountain biking, which is something I really love, I'm just like, oh, I'm so scared. Like it's in, intense and it, you know, it gives me energy to go do that kind of stuff. It's, I think part of it, as I hear it though, as I say this stuff out loud, it does sound like if it's not fun, I don't want to do it. But you know, a little bitch. <laughs> and it's not about not having, it's not about not hard work, but it's, you know, it, it, it's more of like the gym process, which is no one loves being at the gym necessarily, but we love the result of it. And so I think it's finding the hard thing that you enjoy. Like, what's the hard work that's not hard for you? And even if it is, it feels hard. Sometimes you're like, man, like I'm sweaty. I'm like jacked up. I'm like, yeah, it feels great. The way I think about it is like, there's always going to be stuff that you might not like as much. But if you can at least become more aware of it, you can start to limit some of those things and or at least like rank them and say, OK, this is the worst. I hate being in meetings where I don't need to be there. That's like one of my pet peeves. Uh, I'm like, uh, like, I mean, I'm like, why am why are 20 people in here? Nothing's been achieved. No one. Everyone's kind of just posing. So that was like, OK, I don't want to do that anymore. So now I pretty much don't do those things. But previously, yeah. that, that also took time to build up to, right? Because from day, if I was 21 years old and I had no experience and I was just straight up into like a company, uh, like maybe I need to suck up a little bit of that in the beginning, to be honest, you know, like, I, I don't know. What do you think well, about I, it? The only thing I would say is that the two pieces that come to mind is one, I think people just want to feel in control of their time. Like that's mm, literally the, life. Life is the <laughs> most important thing. Life. I think with meetings, it's not that I actually... There's meetings this week during the week that I look forward to. Yeah. And so it's how do you create that within your schedule so you're empowered or you feel excited to do these different things in your life. I think one thing that was fascinating, someone asked me yesterday, they said, what are you most proud of in your company? And I'm curious your answers. But if you think about it, it doesn't have to just be professional, but what are you most proud of in life? It's almost never the easy thing. You're never yeah. like, hey, I won the lottery. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, so hey, it's like, the part that you like set your mind to and you did something and you achieved it, right? Like, yeah. So like for yourself, what are you proud of? It's a tough one. I mean, tough and easy question. Yeah. Like, I'll I, give you I'd, a time frame. That might help. In the past five years, like what have you done in, yeah, in your life that you're proud of? I'd say probably like the podcast is definitely coming to mind more so just because I like left a full-time job took a risk and have like created a more flexible life, which is kind of what I was looking for. So I own my time pretty much now. I did a lot of travel in that time while I was still working and did the consultancy stuff and the podcast. So yeah, I think that's probably the thing that comes to mind. Um, that's more like professionally, I guess. Well, it kind of overlaps because it was also part of regular life. Yeah, I think that's the biggest, biggest thing 
in the last few years. And then I'll also say in the last five years, I left my job at Google and went to Charity Water, which is like a nonprofit. So I went there for a couple of years and that was an incredible experience. Uh, I actually met the, the founder of Through This Podcast and, and then ended up working there for a while. And um, That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And I'd say that was really cool because it, it kind of showed myself that I was able to take quite a big, you know, shift in my own personal and professional life. And um, yeah, the, I was really fulfilling being there for a few years. And even just professionally, it was a bit of a growth. I was like managing a team and, and doing like kind of cool stuff like that. So it was great. But um, yeah, I think there's that. And then honestly, the other stuff is like more personal related stuff. So uh, relationships like working on those and proving to yourself that you're capable of doing those sorts of things as well so well what about you man How, what's coming to mind for you for the last five years i'll tell you what was surprising it was never money completely because i think people that don't have money and look if you people that are listening don't have money i'm not trying to be like oh look at this rich asshole like fuck you it's not about that but i'm saying it was not like oh we made a million dollars or i haven't had a million dollars or i got it's like it's not about the things i got and that was really, it was just surprising and also insightful to realize like the richest people on earth, literally the richest people on earth never have to work for the, like the, until the asteroid kills us all. They don't have to work forever and their family's family's family. They're still working. And that, I think, I don't know why people don't see that. They're like, well, hopefully I can buy a crypto stock and then get rich overnight. And it's, it's not stock, crypto gamble, sorry. But the things I'm most proud of, it might sound strange for others. I'm really proud that I'm doing YouTube for the second year in a row. I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud that I did not give up on it because I think I've done a lot of things where I get it going and get momentum and I'm like, eh, I'm going to give up. I'm proud of the people, the guys I have in my life. Like I have a guy group, like they got my best friends. There's like 18 of them. They're just awesome. I'm like, I don't know how I got so damn lucky to have such great people from my business partner, Chad, to Eamon, who's the CEO of this company, uh, to my buddy, Andrew Chen, who I had breakfast with and just like how much they've enhanced my life. I'm very proud of that. That's a great one, actually. Yeah, I, I would say similarly, like the, because, you know, friends are the people you kind of, the family you kind of choose. And um, thankfully, I have a, a great family too, but some people don't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but oh, I mean, sorry, um, yeah, <laughs> no, but like, you're right, like just surrounding yourself with those people makes a huge difference to like your, your week to week kind of life. And um, being able to create that is, is a big part of it. Thing to to add to the money part that you just mentioned there. Uh, yeah, just interviewing people for the show. I've had like everyone from like a billionaire, like the co-founder of Square to bootstrapped entrepreneurs who have just like made a few few grand for the first time. And it's like you said, it's never really about the money on its own. Like for some people, I'd say there's a percentage of people I've I've met who like it might be just for them. and But it's more like the game of accumulating money. Like so I, even then I would say it was slightly different. But what I found was like when you're kind of poor, so I grew up like working middle class family, right? And um, so, you know, they did well to provide for us and it was a great upbringing, but we were never like rich. And at that stage, money does make quite a big difference. Like if you're getting free school meals and you don't want to get free school meals anymore or you can't afford to buy a pair of shoes and you, you get bullied, like these are things that happened to me. And for, at that age, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I want to be rich because I don't have these problems anymore. And, and the best way I've heard it described in recent times is money doesn't solve all your problems. It just solves your money problems, which is just like, yeah, sometimes you need money to get that, that basic uh, level, which is like, I can pay my rent. I can go out with friends. I don't have to like necessarily look at my bank account every day stressing. After that level, it's all diminishing returns. Like there's not too much more you can do. 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, you, you've had a bit more business success. So I'm, I'm curious how you feel about that. I think for anyone out there, there's unlimited money out there if you're willing to do the work. And most people that aren't getting what they want are not willing to put in and sacrifice. Like I've made almost no money for a lot of years. It's 15. You know, I had, you know, let's say 50,000, 40,000, 70,000. And then finally, you know, two, a few years ago, I was able to start paying myself, you know, significantly, like in the seven figures. I grew up middle class. I think one of the things that's fascinating about growing up middle class is that one, I got lucky that my parents were, you know, my stepdad's an engineer, my mom's a nurse. They pushed me really hard in school and to be, you know, work hard. So that's honestly a luck thing. I think there's a lot of people that are disadvantaged. It's not that they can't do it, but I think it's fucking hard if you grow up and your parents are like, maybe you only had one parent or they weren't as engaged with you. So to overcome that, it's like, I want to help more of those people, at least give them some of the cheerleading and inspiration. I think where sometimes I've seen people have problems, including myself, is that we get so fixated on the money and the destination, we miss this whole journey. And whenever people used to say that, I'd be like, yo, shut up, dude. I'm just trying to get rich. Like, I don't need your poor ass. Like, but at the end of the day, you, like, let's just assume you have the money. You still have to live. I think at least I have this fantasy. Once you've made the money, you can like, you go off to this new planet and you're like, I'm on planet rich and everything just is like in a cloud. And it's like, it's not the reality. You know, it's, it's finding enjoyable work that you feel like you're getting a good return on your time. Or maybe I would even argue a disproportionate return for your time. The other challenge I would say is if people grow up poor or middle class, sounds like both of us did. I never felt like I didn't have enough money, but I think what's fascinating is that our mental models are stuck in that level. Completely. So yeah. my mental model has always been be practical, be frugal, be value oriented, ask for discounts on a lot of things, which my parents always did. Like, why do you have to spend that money? Like that's, these are the, like the stories I'm hearing my mom telling me. I'm like, she's in the, like, she in the room. And so I think it's not that those are bad, but it's also reevaluating. Like, is this the mental model that's serving me in this chapter of my life? And so the, for myself, especially in, you know, in the past years, it's, I can't be buried with the money. So let me try to enjoy it a bit. Cause I think I've had a story that money and materialism are evil and it doesn't bring you fulfillment. I'll tell you, it makes life a lot easier and it makes life oh, a lot sure. more fun. It makes it a lot more enjoyable. Not, not to be lavish necessarily, unless you enjoy it all the time, but like money can make life a lot more enjoyable. Uh, and so being more accepting of that. And then also, you know, so finding enjoyment with, with the money you're making and then finding work that like, I just enjoy doing. And I think yeah. there's, there's some disconnect with that with a lot of people where they do these jobs they don't like to make money that's not even that great. I encourage them to like at least plant some seeds. Like maybe it's podcasting, maybe it's gardening, maybe it's like doing delivery, whatever that is to go and figure out the work that actually can bring fulfillment to them in their lives. Because when you look back on your life, this is something I think about pretty regularly. You asked about like how I think about energy and, and things like that. It's if we ever have to die, maybe we won't. That's why I always tell people not to tell people. People are like, well, when I die, it's like, you may not. But if that happens, like, what are you going to look back on? And then you can start thinking about like, what do I want to look back on? And for me, you know, the people I'm around, I thought about it because I was like, I'm not going to be on my deathbed being like, man, I have the biggest real estate portfolio in all of Austin. And like, I have all these properties and like, how cool is it? It's like, I'm probably gonna be thinking like, oh shit, I'm dying first off. But then I'll be like, man, I had a, a fulfilled life with people I liked doing some cool work that I thought was enjoyable and helped other people. And so I think that kind of helps you work backwards from like, how do we start? What, what kind of life do we want to be living today? Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, because you mentioned it earlier about you were feeling a bit down about, I think you said you were single, right? I am. And of course, like being single can be great as well. And there's like pros and cons to each. But if you're someone who's single, who doesn't want to be single or is like open to not anyway. Um, Are you proposing? Like, 
<laughs> Maybe when we meet in person, we'll get to know each other, man. But <laughs> where are you in the world, by the way? I'm in New York nowadays, so okay. Okay. it gets confusing. I've got. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll definitely have to hang out. Hopefully, we all shut it up by then. Yeah, we'll definitely. Well, uh... real quickly, what I do, and this is, I think the audience will, I, I think yeah, they enjoy no, it. Yeah, I love, I love this. I have a file that I use for every city. Oh, so every it. city I travel to in the world, I'll just have a file, and then I put them on. And if I hang out with them, I, I keep them on. If I don't, I remove them. But anyway, so you're, we're talking about being single. Yes. Well, actually, just on that really quickly, what's your file? Is it just like a a, a Google Doc yeah, or like Evernote? Okay, no, it's an Evernote. So oh, I'm logging into okay. my Evernote. So in my Evernote, this, I'm keeping notes here. This is a it's easier when we're talking to have notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Go so ahead. So I have you... a file that says like it'll say the city like San Francisco. Or I just did one for Miami. Uh, and it. in Miami yesterday, there's a site product called moonpay.com. Okay. Anyways, I like the CEO's name's Ivan and we became buddies. And so I put him on the Miami list. And now if I go to New York, you, you know, got a list, uh, you can just... be on the list. Yeah. It makes Love it it. Yeah. We'll definitely do that. What were you saying about being single though? I just think that's kind of a fun thing that people like. So uh, if you don't mind me asking, like, why were you feeling down about that? Like, is that just something you've been thinking about? And if this is too personal, let me know. But no, I'm dude, just it's curious. Not, not it is personal, but life is, you know, I can choose to share it or not. And I'm yeah. more than happy to share. Plus, if there's single people out there, slide into I my DMs at Noah Kagan. <laughs> or, or I have an email address, marriage at okdork.com. If you That's hilarious. are interested, <laughs> or if you know someone interested, preferably female, possibly Jewish, uh, holler at your boy. <laughs> so let me just tell you a story from this weekend. It was a really fascinating story. I was in Utah, and we were checking out. I wanted to get a second house. So we're looking at like the mountain town, we're looking at Park City, and we were looking uh, at Salt Lake City. What was really fascinating was, and this is not a, it's not a chrism. Everyone should live whatever, whatever life they want to live. Everyone gets to choose. That's what's so cool. We went to one person's house. He had this insane house. Insane. Like movie room, like legit movie room, sauna built in, like crazy amazing house. And the guy was super cool. I liked him a lot. We just partied in the house. So they're doing drugs, we're drinking, we're doing all these like fun party stuff. And it was great. It was great. On the flip side of that, I went into Salt Lake City and I'm hanging out with my buddy, Eric, who runs chess.com. And Eric is just, he's a, he's Mormon. He has four kids. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. Yeah. You know, a very, a Mormon life. It's not just Mormon, like a very clean, I don't want to say simple, but just a different lifestyle. And it was fascinating to experience both those lives. Like one guy, they're both similar ages. One guy's, you know, with a bunch of people, partying chicks, stuff like that. And one guy's family. And for myself, it was a reflection of like, oh, what do I think is actually more satisfying? Not necessarily more fun, but more satisfying, more fulfilling. And I was like, oh, this, this family life. And then I asked Eric, I saw him two days ago. And I said, yo, man, like, I saw your life. I saw this guy's life. What do you think? He's like, oh, my life's way better than theirs <laughs> wait sorry the eric is the party guy or the other one no no eric is the is the the, the, family, the guy. family family guy okay i'm not well, hating the party thing too like everyone completely. should do whatever i'm not just i'm just telling you from my own feelings your personal perspective eric, yeah and eric was like yo i love my life like my life is awesome like i love my wife i love my kids i love what i get to live i'm enjoying my work all these things and i think it's not as it's not an easier life but it's probably a more fulfilling life and, and you asked me about being single I don't think I found anyone at the level that I'm like, oh my God, this is who I want to go and uh, commit to. And that shit takes time. I think we're, people are committing way too easily to something that's such a big decision. I don't even care about the divorce rates, but I'm saying like, when someone buys a house, this always blows my mind. You're spending almost the most money you've ever spent in your life and you look at it for 10 minutes. You're like, okay, I'll spend, people spend more time figuring out where to go for dinner 
you know? So if you're choosing your life partner, you should be as picky as possible to find someone. Maybe you need two of them, but it's probably just one <laughs> to find someone that I'm trying. And I think I, I struggle with that Bilal, because yeah, there's definitely accepting the fact that I'm single. And, but I, I think what I haven't accepted is, do I want to live this party life or do I want to kind of commit to this other thing? And I, and I think one of the things I noticed is that seeing Eric's life, I'm like, man, that's amazing. And then my friend Neville, one of my best friends, he went on a date and he's like, wow, this woman is someone, he wants to have kids in two years. And he's like, this is a woman I could see myself having kids with. And I felt a tinge of jealousy and not jealousy. I, I want Neville to get married. I want him to have a wife, have kids and have it. I love Neville. I want him to have an amazing life. And I told my friend, I felt a little jealousy about Neville. I was like, yo man, I can't believe Neville. Like, not that he, I want him to find it. It was just more of like, wow, I felt weird about it. And my friend said, well, if Neville told you he was like having an orgy and for the next five years, he wants to like bang a bunch of chicks. He's like, how would you feel then? And I was like, I wouldn't care. And that was like an interesting uh, kind of like reflection of like, well, huh, that maybe is not as exciting as you think. And so it's kind of committing. I think when we talk about things that are proud of, and I'll relate to the relationship, we're proud of things we want that are hard. We have to want it because if you don't want it, if it's hard, but you don't want it, that, I don't think you'll be proud of it. And so I think in the relationship stuff, I'm starting to accept and embrace that, yes, I would like a family. I would like to go deeper with someone and being more committed to you know that vision and working hard for it. I'm also kind of in the mindset of like, there's no perfect timing generally. And like things take longer than they than you plan sometimes and nothing's perfect. So like if your business life is like 10 out of 10 right now is the best it's ever been potentially and you, your personal life is also great in so many ways. And this part might is one of the things that you're being a bit more proactive about. I think that's a very normal balance, right? And uh, maybe also needed this time for you to spend all those years, you know, learning more about yourself, building the business and being in a state where you're like, now I really wanna wanna do it. So it sounds like an encouraging thing that you're that you've got some clarity on it either way i'm working on it my man i do think it's like a tripod where if your work life is total crap or your health life is total crap or your relationship life so i don't think it's i think it it kind of hurts the rest of them and so i do feel more happy and satisfied with my work life i feel more happy satisfied with my health and personal life and it makes it easier to start being mindful to go into the relationship stuff i still think i'm a few months away from really feeling great about my being alone to then finally be great to bring someone into that yeah 100 percent, dude um well listen so to switch gears a little bit let's dive into to youtube for a bit because i, I was enjoying that and i feel like we could talk for four hours just kicking it talking about that stuff and maybe we'll do that when you're here in june but um on the youtube side for people listening you've been killing it on youtube you've been really committed to it creating these great videos you've grown to so like 150,000 subscribers or something like that in the last 38,769 <laughs> give or take uh, roughly yeah <laughs> roughly speaking um so you've been really focusing on it but so let's start off with like why youtube because uh, i mean i worked at google and youtube for seven plus years i'm a huge fan of it and people who've heard the show know how much of a fan i am of it but in full transparency i haven't cracked it myself and it's one of those things you need to fully really uh commit to and like you know do it consistently and, and play the youtube game so uh, i'd love to unpack some of the things you've learned from that process um the first thing though is like why youtube so uh, i've heard you describe this as putting your surfboard on big waves so could you tell me what you mean by that like uh, I, I think i know what it means but like is youtube the big wave and you're surfing on it what i realized with podcasting is that 
it is almost nearly impossible to grow an audience on a podcast. Nearly impossible. And the same amount of effort put into a video, I get 10x the amount of audience and reach. Now, you might argue that the quality of a podcast listener is higher than the audience of a YouTube listener or YouTube watcher, but I think they've been pretty equivalent. And I just feel that I get a disproportionate return for the amount of energy I put in. Now, why YouTube? I've been doing internet crap and internet stuff 20 years. So I've tried a lot of it. I've done blogging. I've done I've done all of them and I've seen all of them. It uh, doesn't mean I know all of it very, extremely well, but it's, at this point, across the board, if I can invest time, which one is giving me the best audience, the quality of the audience and size of audience. And, you know, I would say 10 years ago, it was blogging. 10 years ago, everyone went to Google and said, how do I do this marketing thing? Or how do I grow or what, you know, and or people would share organically a lot of the blogs. But if you ask yourself, like, how many times have you read a blog post this week? It's like one, maybe if it's good, what you've read is probably a tweet, and probably a newsletter, and probably a YouTube thing. Video, right? yeah, like that's, completely. That's, that's where the, the time is spent nowadays, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I spend the majority of my time Twitter and YouTube consuming content. And then I do Instagram. I've unfollowed most people except a few, so I don't spend as much time there. But that's where people spend time. And as a marketer, as someone who wants to teach business and help people start their, their journeys, I'm going to go to where the people are and where they're consuming. And so I saw TikTok and I, people are getting big on TikTok. I just think the audience there suck. I think the audience, it's not that those, maybe those people suck, but it's more the quality of the people that are consuming there are not engaging. They're not really able to take action. They may not join your newsletter. It's kind of a um, superficial relationship where I feel that the audience size and ability to get them on YouTube is easier. And the, the quality of the engagements is just significantly higher. If there was another channel that was better, I would go to that. Let's talk a little bit about on your side and what you've kind of learned about the YouTube algorithm and what's been working and what's not been working. Um, first of all, you, your team told me that you're spending more than 500k uh, this year on YouTube. What what does that mean? <laughs> it means I don't have $500,000 in my bank account because I'm putting it in <laughs> other people's bank accounts. Uh, I think at the end of the day... Is that giveaways? A, uh, so in terms of our... If you look at the pie chart of my spend, of the spend of the company, it's about a third to a half in salaries, probably about a third or give or take in like giveaways and, and different things like that. And then a third in like ads and software that we use to run the, the channel. So taking a step back, who cares how much Noah spends? The thing that everyone should be thinking about is if you, everyone should be investing. So the question there is that if you are hiring someone in any business or you're hiring people in your YouTube channel, what is the return you're expecting? And so at a high level on two pieces, one, I'm investing in YouTube hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, to build up an audience that over time, kind of like Gary Vee or Elon Musk, hey, you like me, guess what? I have this company with cool products I think you should check out. So I'm investing up front to be able to do that later. The quote to think about is, do I want to give away the Lambo so I can have the dealership later? And that's the approach. I'm giving away Lambos. I'm promoting these other things. So later I own the dealership or the other things. Oh, that was a great analogy. The second side of that is that I do think I'm wasting some money. So it's kind of like, I was, it was fascinating because if you're, if you get VC funding, you're like, well, I don't have to be as disciplined. If it's it, like, this is a bootstrap company. This is our fucking money. Like there's not free money being printed. So with our channel this week, to be straight with you, there's some people, and I, I talked to them straight up about it. I'm like, you're getting paid, but you're not producing the, there's not a return on that, that salary. And it's not a threat. I don't want them, but I'm like, look, I need your help so that you can be more valuable here. That's it. And here's where, you know, you can come and figure out. I, I like people being feeling empowered to be like, well, here's where I, how I think it makes makes sense uh, versus me. Just I don't think people get very inspired when they're told what to do. And so 
in terms of the spend just straight up, I think there's some people they get paid, let's just say 70 and they're generating hundreds and some are not. And so it's just reallocating people to higher value activities. And I think that goes for every single business, like every business owner, if you're not looking at your teammates, I don't call them employees, but your teammates as ROIs, like you should be a nonprofit or go work in the government. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So can we, uh, I, I, there was one video you made about Mr. Beast and he's obviously like crushing it on YouTube. He's one of the best out there and he's doing crazy, crazy stuff even just outside of YouTube by this point. Um, like what is, who are the other people like him that you're looking at and what makes them good on YouTube for you in your eyes? Like what are they doing well that most people are missing? I think you should try to learn from people that are do- successful. Like I, if you're going to a gym, find a guy or girl who's jacked, right? Like I think sometimes it's like, I like just, even if there's a fat person who's a great coach, I still would rather learn from the, the fit person if I'm trying to get fit. The other thing I think is helpful in learning is look at people outside of your realm. So for me, I follow some women and look at women's videos to see like what kind of content and if they're doing anything with their material that I could copy. So uh, how are they telling their story? How is their background looking? How is their titles? Like there's this woman, Silicon Valley girl, and it's not my audience. Like I don't have a lot of females, but there's some topics and titles that I'm like, oh, how can I learn from my own? There's investing with Rose just as well. On the other side of that, I think sometimes we copy the people that are too similar to us. And you, how are you going to win if you're copying the, the same people? You have to go and do different. I think I've really liked Gary Tan. I've really enjoyed Gary's material. I think his videos are very digestible. I think they're well packaged. I think there's some things on YouTube he's not doing very well, but I think he's okay with that. Like, I think the interview stuff doesn't do as well for him. I do look at like Graham Stefan. He's like one of the top people now in business on YouTube. He's like um, the personal finance guy, right? Yeah, there's him. Uh, there's a guy named Ryan Panetta I really like. Okay. Uh, I look at some of the other business people like Spencer, Cornelia, CoffeeZilla. I think the higher level point with YouTube stuff is that if you're trying to do well in YouTube, you should watch YouTube. Like, I've talked <laughs> to some people that are like, yeah. join, they're like, I want to do YouTube. Like, and I think YouTube literally is the number one job creator in the next 10 years. Anyone anywhere in the world with their phone, which everyone has now, can they host the videos for free. They bring you the audience for free and they pay you. Mm. So I think there's going to be a lot of front people and as well as back people like the... Um, producers and editors and all that stuff. So I think there's a huge opportunity for anyone out there. So regardless, if you want to do YouTube, all you have to do is consume YouTube uh, and then start today creating that content. One of the things, just to go into that a little bit more. So you mentioned a bunch of people that you like what they're doing. Um, If I was saying, looking at all of them and what you've learned from it, if I was saying, what's the 80-20 of what you've learned for YouTube that what works, uh, you know, like or what you've understood about what the algorithm uh, is optimizing for so as one example i know like you mentioned ctr click-through rate shows google and you well shows youtube that this is interesting to the person who's watching looking at the feed and then the second metric they're looking at is completion rate not just the number of views right did yes. someone actually watch all the way through did they enjoy it so those are just two parts that a lot of people don't really know about youtube so like yeah um, what, what what if i was saying the 80 yeah. 20 is there anything that comes to mind so I think there's basically two things that matter to be successful on YouTube, but you have to buy my course to find those out. <laughs> it's 1,999. We have a payment plan though. No, that's the cool thing about being rich is that I don't have to get money from people. So I don't have anything I have to sell. I means I don't have to, I can do what the fuck I want, which is pretty fucking cool. That's and true. I don't, then there's not like an ulterior motive, which is nice. Or my motives are, are very transparent. And so the two things that, that I've seen to be successful on YouTube, number one, you have to do it for at least three to five years. That's number one. You have to do the law of 100, which is 100 videos. Or everyone who I've met, like I've interviewed and and documented a lot of the most successful people on YouTube, 
They've all been doing it for three to five plus years. MKBHD, 12 years. Uh, Mr. Beast, seven years. Ali Abdal, three years. And he's fast. Ali Abdal is one of my favorites. So that's number one. Number two, I have noticed that the best videos are bigger topics. So what does that mean is that I've done videos where I'm like, how this person that's small did well. And then I did the same video about Mr. Beast. And it's just a bigger pie of audience interested in that topic. The thing I would say that, that you highlighted that I would I think is important for literally any business out there is, are you treating it like a professional or are you treating it like a hobby? So you said, hey, in August, I started taking this seriously like a professional. And guess what? It's doing really well. And I think a lot of people come into businesses and they put their toe in and they're like, well, it's not doing well, so I'm not going to take it seriously. It's like, well, if you treat it like a hobby, you're going to get hobby results. And so a professional like Mr. Beast, he has like, I think, 100 people on staff. It's crazy. And he is looking at the analytics. But as a dumbass audience member, I'm like, oh, it's just him and his two jackass friends recording videos in North Carolina. But the reality is, is that they're looking at every single. So like, let me just t- speak for our own channel. We look at every single CTR. We're measuring every AVD. So that's the average view duration, right? For people Pardon. who don't. The two yeah. metrics that really matter are, are people clicking it? And then are people watching it? And how much? That's it. And so are you really tweaking that? Every single week we look at this data. And it's like, all right, well, what did we learn from this one? What did we learn from this one? And we have a professional team. We have a, a professional thumbnail designer, professional video editor. We have a, like two producers that basically are like, what are popular topics? How do we re-script them? How do we structure the calls to action in them? And I think a lot of people are like, well, you just kind of make a video and hopefully it works. That's the dream. But the reality is, is that any profession... If you want to be successful, you have to take it professionally. Could we go into that process a little bit more? So you, you talked about your you working with the team and um, like let's start from the idea. Like it's you and a bunch of people in your team saying, okay, this, these are potential topics. You're probably saying, oh, these are things I'm interested in. Like take me from that idea to yeah. do you guys write a script? Then do you like film it yourself? And like I'm curious like how that process lo- looks like. It's been evolving. It's evolving. So at the highest level, the number one most important thing on YouTube is topic selection. Number one thing. So for me to make a video talking about marketing or talking about retiring or talking about starting a business in AppSumo or starting a business live or make it doing like how Mr. Beast is big, it's all about the same amount of time. So I would encourage, and I honestly, I'd still say we suck at it. Until I get to a million subscribers, I would say I don't think I'm, I'm the best at it. I still think we're learning. I think like Colin and Samir have actually done a really phenomenal job. You're trying to learn people who are like, they're amazing. I love these guys. I think their topic selection is phenomenal. So I am trying to encourage the team. I'm not trying. I'm encouraging the team and myself to increase the amount of time that we're spending looking at what topics are popular, what's going on in the news, what do I have expertise in, and focusing on that. Like So as an example, today's video, how I retired at 30, it's doing really well. One, it's like, oh, how did he retire at 30? I have expertise in it because it's my life and I did do retired at 30. And you compare that to Tuesday's video, which was how we bought $100,000 of virtual cats. The audience that's interested in me doesn't give a shit. So I should have just not made that fucking video or figured out how do I make that video something my audience would have enjoyed or a new audience. And so number one, just spend hours figuring out the video topic. From the video topic selection, I mean, that from there, it's actually pretty easy. We do scripting. On some of our, we do scripting almost in every video. We use teleprompters about 80% of the time. The thing from there that you're looking at is, well, how is the CTR looking on every single video? So is it the title? Is it the thumbnail? And so we do testing. So if you follow me on Instagram at Noah Kagan, or if you follow me on YouTube, youtube.com slash OKDork, you'll see that we post a lot of our titles and thumbnails pretty regularly 
to see which ones people are actually clicking on or engage with. It kind of gives us a higher confidence that those will do well. And then each week we have a line graph that's like, how is the CTR trending? And then the same thing with their average view duration. Like, Because if you look at some of the most popular YouTubers, Mr. Beast, Khan Samir, most successful YouTubers now have 15 to 25 minute videos. Yeah. Increasing. It's increasing. It used to be closer to 10 minutes, right? Or like yeah, 10, 12, I mean, 5, so 10, and now it's of, going up. Yeah, man. So anyways, it's, it's kind of more of just like, and what we did Monday, which was fascinating, or Tuesday, I was talking to my business partner, and he's like, "Your goal, my goal with YouTube is 250,000 subscribers this year. And I find in business, just pick some target that is achievable and is desirable and focus on that and everything I'll say no to. So if it helps me do get that goal, do it. If it doesn't, or it's not, there's not a higher uh, leverage of it, don't. And so my business partner, Chad, on Tuesday was said, hey, which videos have gotten you the most subscribers? And I was like, Mr. Beast, How I'm Rich, and Business Ideas. <laughs> I'm just telling you, yeah. look, it's not what I, if you meet me, I'm not going to have lunch with you below and be like, I'm rich and look, oh, look, let me, extra no, no, chicken on the salad. Relevant. <laughs> You're bowling out, man, with the chicken. <laughs> but at the same time, this is what audience enjoy. And I think I provide actionable educational information. Then that's what they want. And so those three topics have driven us the best amount of subscribers. So like how this weird person you're not expecting has done really well, Mr. Beast, how I got rich and how to get business ideas or, you know, the ideas one is, you know, how to get a, you know, what are the best businesses post pandemic? And guess what? That's what people want. Just do more of those. And so I think if you look at our channel a year ago, it was me shirtless talking about random shit. And I enjoyed it and people seem to like it. And then as we've professionalized the business, it's like, oh, these are the ones working. So let's have more content and more topics around that. And I think that's true for all businesses like AppSumo. What is working? Do 10 times more of it. Uh, and I think that's what's helped us get to these levels in, in AppSumo.com. And I, and I think it'll do the same in YouTube. I know that your background is like quite a scientific marketing mind. Like you you know how to, to optimize things for the metrics, but bringing it full circle to our initial part of the conversation, which was like, the inputs versus outputs i think that's where the the balance you kind of hit this balance where you're like like maybe the videos that you really want to make aren't the ones that the, the that are resonating with your current audience do you feel like that might be the case too early on in youtube this in this i've gone this is the second like wave i've done youtube i did it before most of the videos i didn't read the comments and i didn't really care if they did well and i just did it and so this time around i started looking at the comments realizing i was helpful and there's a Venn diagram of business. It's a very straightforward diagram, which is what do I want to do? What do people want to pay for? And I'll give you an example. On YouTube, I did some of these videos called Million Dollar Weekend. And it's how I've started multiple companies that have become multi-million dollar businesses. And I've done most of them within 48 hours. I hate making those videos. <laughs> I just don't like doing it. People love it though. And so there is a balance. And so what I've, I think what I've really gotten into lately is what do I know the audience will like, and I really want to do it. So even if no one watches it, I still feel good doing it. So like how I retired at 30, I thought it was just helpful. Another video I put up that's coming out in a week is like surprising things about my billionaire friends, right? I was just like, I was surprised, like they like to rent versus own and they're actually can be extremely frugal that you wouldn't expect. And so it's understanding what people want to watch and whether they watch or not, I still feel good creating because early on I was doing ones that they wanted, like that I thought the audience wanted. And if it didn't do well, I'd be like, I gave you what you wanted. So I had to disconnect myself and say, let me just make sure I do the ones I'm really enjoying. And I think they'll like versus just the ones that, that they want. Just to go into that uh, on the topic selection, are there any tools you're using? Because I know Gary Tan 
has mentioned this, and I've used like TubeBuddy, VidIQ. There's two that you oh, can those use. Those are all for, like, garbage. Yeah. What is there? Is are there any that you use that are useful? I'll tell you. We actually, it's pretty straightforward. The team goes and spends hours like looking at all the other YouTube topics that are popular, looking at trending, looking at other people and like opposite categories as well as current categories. One thing that's been really interesting is like looking on Reddit, like go to subredditstats.com and seeing what topics are, are trending there. And also what we're excited about, like I've been doing a lot of crypto stuff. I've been losing a lot of money in crypto. And so it's fun to talk about that. And so what we do then is we have kind of, right, let me, I'll pull it up. I'll show, I don't know if I can show you my screen. Cool. All right. So we have our weekly meeting and I'll, let me actually walk you through it. Let me just walk you through it. Cause I actually think for anyone who wants to be a professional content creator, it'll be helpful. Yeah. And this it's is probably awesome. also pretty applicable, whatever business you have. So one, what's the number one goal? So this is our weekly kind of cadence meeting. So we only have one goal, which is the 250,000 subscribers. And it's like, how are we doing on that? Analyzing each of the previous videos from the past week to see what could we learn. Uh, let me pull up last week's. So how are we doing on our goal? How do we do on last week's videos? And what can we learn? And we do like an analysis, like a debrief mm -hmm. on every single video. How are we doing on our APV average percent viewed? So are we getting people to watch the videos? And how is it trending? And then as we talked earlier, the CTR. So how is our CTR tracking over time? Mr. Love Beast, it. I'm sure, is doing even crazier analysis on his stuff. And then so from here, and you asked about the content selection. So some of the videos we've already kind of decided. And I'd say one of the number one things that we already talked about is I just go look at which videos have driven me the most subscribers and I do more of those. So marketing tactics for 2020 and 2019 and 2018, that's been one of my top videos ever. How I've spent money or how I make money does really, really well. Like how I make a million dollars a year or how I spend a million dollars a year in Austin. Yeah, I watched that video. That was really good. That was, so, yeah, I mean, everyone likes to see that stuff. <laughs> so how I'm spending, it's actually 200,000. So how I spend over $200,000 a year last year to grow YouTube, I try to make it tactical and actionable, uh, but spending money or making is always kind of, and then the last content topic I talked about was business ideas. So work from home business ideas, hot paying jobs, whatever that kind of stuff is. And actually this one came from a tweet. So Delian, who's the, he works at Founders Fund, he tweeted about how the top jobs today are like YouTube creator and these other jobs. It got super viral and it's like, that's popular. So why don't we make content around what people already like? Now, what's interesting is like to get to that level or to get to these videos, which are like, oh, those are good videos. I think the best thing to think of it is if you look at like a show like Friends or The Simpsons or uh, Rick and Morty or anything that's a professional entertainer, entertainment, what they are, South Park, they do pitches. I'm kind of replicating the Seinfeld model, which is you bring in a crap ton of ideas and you shit on all of them. And then what we do is we use peppers. It's like, I don't know, I find it pepper. So we have all these different ideas and it's like, well, which ones are popular based on what we already know that gets subscribers and we're excited to make. And then we talk about which one are we actually getting excited talking about? Like when you talked about your partner, you yeah. were like happy. I saw it. Yeah. But like, I'll give you a few ideas. So like 14 lessons in 14 years of starting companies, boring. Like it'll do probably okay, <laughs> but it just doesn't sound inspiring right now. Versus yeah. how I met Steve Jobs, Bill Gates and how to network. Mm. Like that, okay. You're like, how did he meet Steve Jobs and Bill Gates yes, and network? completely. Or we did these videos about how Mr. Beast got rich and famous. And then we did a lot of them, but they didn't work. Almost none mm. of the other ones worked. So like we did Graham Stefan, MKBHD, Gary V, Joe Rogan. Warren Buffett. And none of them work because I think people already know they're rich, but there's something there that that topic works really well. So it's how do we shift it to make it work? So it's like, what are all of Elon Musk's failed business ideas? Mm, so okay. how did this rich, super famous person, all of the negative, or 
we're experimenting on a similar kind of parallel of that, which is how do he actually make his first million? Yeah. So it's a lesser known things. Yeah. That normally stands out more than just like the standard stuff we've all had before. Yeah. You know, like also just things you have to be excited about, like (sighs) why I stopped doing checklists in my life. A lot of, you know, you kind of brainstorm and you pitch the ideas and you pick the few that you're actually like really excited about. And then so you guys just go through this, you bold the stuff. Are you the one bolding this? And, or is it like- We do it all together. So they're coming, the team will spend uh, Fridays bringing this and then we have a pitch meeting on Tuesdays. And the pitch meeting can take like one to two hours going over every single topic. And sometimes it's like a variation. That's super cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. That's super helpful. I'm trying to find the ones from this week. If you don't mind me asking, because one of the things I had on here- related to this were kind of less obvious ways to grow of course you need great content and you need topics that people care about but i've also seen a couple of examples like you did a partnership i don't know if this was like just a partnership with the hustle because you're friends with sam or like something with the team i was i did something similar actually where i was featured in the hustle newsletter a couple of times for different I interviewed Tim Urban uh, from Wait But oh, Why, yeah. and we I ended up asking him a few questions specifically for the hustle, and then they featured that in the newsletter, which is awesome. And I saw they actually mentioned, I think they used you as an example of one that you'd done something similar. So um, I don't know if you're able to to talk about this, but yeah. just curious, like those sort of partnerships are interesting because a lot of people don't really think about stuff like that. And it, it, not everyone's going to get featured in the hustle, but there might be similar yeah. things we can kind of share with people there. Okay. So just to take a step back, we've done these like email swaps where like we'll email the hustle and then they'll email the hustle. Not everyone has a large email list or of audience yet. And then we've done giveaways. Like we gave away my Tesla. We gave away a company. I actually don't know if that's driving us the right audience. And what I would recommend for people is if you're on YouTube, or podcasting, there's basically two ways to get big. Number one, make great videos. If you're a podcaster, make great podcasts. That's the cheat code. The second thing is that you have to do the promotion in the medium. So if we do an email swap to grow our email list to hopefully maybe get them on our YouTube, it doesn't work really well. What works really well is that if you have a YouTube channel below, which you do, and I interview with you and we have a fun chat and we make it really appealing and people enjoy it, and you put it on YouTube and it says, hopefully in the description, you can link to, our, to my channel if you'd like. That is the best way to do it. Uh, we've experimented with a lot of these other things. And it's, I think it's superficial. And I don't think those audience actually care to find out about the other person. And so I would say if you're a newsletter business, go do email swaps. Like if you have a Substack or sendfox.com account, if you're a podcaster, go figure out how to work backwards to get on other shows. And at the end of the day, it's like, that's what I've observed to growing within the YouTube and, you know, the specific mediums. Yeah, I've heard that from a few people and I've noticed it myself. I've been going on other people's podcasts in the last few months, like five or six I did. And and yeah, I mean, I, none of them were super huge, but they were like one, I was up for doing it for fun. They had asked me to join, but it makes sense. Someone's already listening. You're not trying to convince someone, hey, there's this thing called a podcast you can listen to. <laughs> so and it, you're basically getting to tell people all about you for an hour. So I think that's definitely one way to do it. Um, one other thing um, that a lot of people don't often talk about in detail is paid ads. Um, you know, you're a marketer, you've obviously run paid ads uh, previously for your, for your other companies. But what about on the content side? Is that something that you've seen? Have you experimented with that? And have you seen anything that has worked? So what I would recommend for anyone trying to do paid ads is that make sure that you have an ROI built in. So if you're doing ads to whatever it is, make sure that you can actually measure if it's profitable. And I think a lot of people 
especially entrepreneurs, do a bunch of paid ads to things. Like they do like this guy, executive ice.com. We, we, I bought the website and I gave it to him as part of a YouTube video. And he's like, two weeks ago, he's like, yeah, I'm running ads. And I'm like, dude, you just got the site. It's not making that much money. You don't need to do any ads right now. Don't do ads until you can measure the ROI. So I would, I would always discourage people from spending on ads. Number one, with our YouTube channel, you know, we do push people to AppSumo. We do have income coming in from it. So I feel more comfortable doing it myself. Cause I'm like, Oh, they'll eventually go to AppSumo. I am finding that YouTube ads are okay. I do wonder if that money would be just better spent making better videos. So instead of spending, we spend like thousand dollars a week. If I just took the thousand and hired a better video, a local videographer, we don't have one. Like, would that give us a better return than putting it into the ad money? And the answer is probably yes. So I think with AppSumo, because it's a, it's an e-commerce store from a software and, you know, books and courses for entrepreneurs, like we spend about a quarter million dollars a month. So for and that, that yeah. it makes and a little more sense. Like ROI. A, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was having like a course that I'm trying to pitch people on or some mastermind crap, yeah, I would probably be a lot more aggressive on ads on the YouTube channel. I think there's a lot of ways. I think the best ways to do advertising is try to find places to advertise that don't have ads. Yeah. But and that, you can actually go direct. Yeah. So like, do you have sponsors on your show? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's tough, but it's good. So I've always found the best marketing and advertising, advertising specifically is like who's small, but has really engaged audience like yourself or like, is there websites like an example? When I did mint, this is years ago, I found Paul Stamatio. He's now like a lead designer at Twitter. Awesome dude. He's been a friend of mine for years. I think I paid him like a thousand a month or 500 a month. And I was like, Hey, we're launching this mint thing. Can you like put a link and like tell people about it? And I can't, I mean, we must've made, I don't know, about a hundred thousand or more in terms of valuation from those types of more niche and non-traditional sponsorships. So that's kind of what I encourage advertising. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, my background, I've done paid ads for some time. I have a paid ads agency as well. So um, I definitely see the value in it, but I think the biggest problem I've found for a lot of people is they just want to turn it on before they're ready. Like you said, like the, there's no point in promoting something that you haven't proved has some value to someone whether that's buying a pair of shoes or a SaaS tool or even for content like I've experimented for the podcast just to see where when I got to a stage where I knew okay enough people like this that they're coming back consistently they're they're sharing it with their friends and that sort of stuff and I want to like play around with it to see so it's always interesting to hear how it might have worked for others as well I mean ads are a dangerous drug <laughs> right because you get hooked on it way. and it's great but at yeah. appsumo.com, I would say, I think we're probably wasting 50,000 a month advertising to the same audience that would probably find out about us organically. And so I think for anyone who's starting to do ads, that's been doing it for some time, like cut half your ad spend and just see what happens. And then you could probably reallocate that to another marketing channel. So we're, we're going to wrap up fairly soon. Um, the last part of the show, thanks for going into the YouTube side, man. I know you've been really heavy into it and, and that was I really useful, it. man. I love it, so, yeah, I love it too. Um, the last part is just around a few things that people have asked about from the audience and uh, oh, people yes. listening and also stuff that I've seen that you've posted. So one of the things that like I loved about your channel is that you were sharing numbers transparently, right? And and I don't think everyone needs to share every single number transparently, but like you're open to doing it on on like how you made more than a million dollars a year and your, your net worth and stuff like that. Um, and, um, especially, shouldn't, be, yeah. shouldn't be sharing this stuff <laughs> well what i realized is I, I think especially coming from our background like you said being like middle class we kind of learned these stories growing up of like what it means to invest what it means to be rich and stuff like that and we kind of had to reprogram ourselves to understand okay that's not that 
crazy. Like the, uh, one of my favorite things for this is um, the subreddit uh, Fat Fire and the Fire, you know, subreddits where people are sharing their kind of like net worth, their breakdown, their investments, like how they made the money, their income, all that sort of stuff. And I think that's super helpful and useful. Um, and I saw you'd posted this thing about um, one of your friends who's made more than $100 million um, through Ethereum. And it was about the idea of uh, asymmetric bets. And I think this is just like a really valuable thing to talk about. And I, I think about this as well, not just in terms of like financial investments, but just business or, uh, you know, my general life. Like, so for me, a business, there's almost unlimited upside. Like even for my small consultancy agency business, I can go and get another 20 clients and there's I can just keep stacking up money if that was the case whereas if i was working uh, in a job there's a limit to what i can do obviously with my time there and the ceiling that you get from income um but i'm curious like how do you apply that to the way you invest because i think uh, you know you, you've talked about like investing in startups and 90 percent of your net worth it seems is probably from your main business uh, which is an asymmetric bet but like i'm curious like how you've applied that concept to your investing world I mean, that's a dude. I love investing. Like, you know, I worked at mint.com because I love money. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. So it's such an interesting experience. And also, money, this whole thing is man made. Yeah. And how much, <laughs> or I guess, woman made. And it just blows my mind how much importance we put on this artificial thing that our society, the civilization, has said is important. I'd say at a high level with investing, it's what are you trying to accomplish and work backwards? So, do you really like watches and you want a bunch of watches? Like, my friend Ian loves Miatas and cars. So he wants to make enough money to buy and flip cars. I have a friend who has a lot of money, but he doesn't really like, care to spend it. He's just, that's, it's just the, the game is fun. And so I think you have to work backwards from the lifestyle you want to live in and then which type of approach to money is best suitable for that. So for me, I wanted to be independent. So how much money I needed was around $3,000 a month to be independent. Is that still the case now? How much do I need to be independent today? There's a thing called lifestyle inflation. So as much as money inflates, your lifestyle inflates. How much is my stuff? So my mortgage is $3,000 a month. I think I'm spending around $10,000 a month on my credit card, plus other things. So I probably need somewhere around 15 to 20 Okay, yeah, and a month. Yeah, fair enough. And I In mean, you've of, earned it now and you, you can afford to do that. But um, yeah. earlier on, I know you were quite frugal with making sure you were saving as much as you could. There's a book called Happy Money. I definitely recommend it by Ken Honda. Because I think based on your upbringing, you're in UK... Yeah, in the UK, yeah. Okay, so based on your family, your net worth, your the way you were taught money, I think is how we're, we kind of keep it going. And I think everyone should just evaluate their money relationship and what, how do they want to be interacting with it. And so I think for a long time, I was so focused on making it in any way possible. And then it was like, how do I make it in ways I enjoy? And then it was like, oh, I can actually enjoy the money to make my life better. And so the way I invest today, and I'll just share is I do asset allocation. And so once a month, I do this spreadsheet. I don't use any financial stuff. And it's basically targets on my finances. So I think right now it's 15% in cash, 30% in real estate, 30% equities. And then whatever the difference is, I think 20-ish percent in risky. So crypto, crazier investments, angel investments. Like I did a bar that went out of business. I did a church that lost a lot of money. Uh, just stuff that I'm okay losing to either be a part of something or to learn. That's more how I've each month said, all right, well, like I'm really low on equity. So I've been allocating more money to get into equities. Got it, man. Yeah, no, that's super helpful just to hear because I think a lot of people say like generic stuff, which is, oh, well, like spend uh, less than you earn. And like, yeah, of course, like that's important. Uh, but I think it is actually interesting to hear examples, even if we're not saying 
like this is not investment advice first of all and secondly everyone needs to find their own allocation but it is interesting to hear like that 20 percent number for risky stuff is interesting because you know for someone else that's only five percent and for someone else it's 50 percent. so it just uh is is yeah. individual well the one part i would add and i just think it's critical to, to share with people is if you're trying to get rich investing you have to be a professional the problem is with the robin herders the robin sheep today they are trying to get rich off investing but most people unless you're a professional will not get rich off investing you will stay rich through investing. And uh, Aswath Damodoran, who's a YouTuber and NYU finance professor, he's one of my favorites. I love the way he approaches it. He's, that's what he taught me. He was like, unless you're professional, you will not get rich investing. You will just be able to stay rich. And so I have gotten rich through business creation. And there's so many ways to get rich nowadays. It's just like my brother is a doctor. He doesn't want to do the work. And that's okay because he wants to live a certain lifestyle and he's willing to have some of the sacrifices. He's not willing to do some of the sacrifices to have that level of wealth. And that's fine if he's okay with it. No, completely, man. And I think you just mentioned something there which is really important, which is wealth is usually created through concentration and preserved through diversification. I think a lot of people think about, mm. oh, I need to diversify portfolio from day one, but you're earning, you're not earning enough. You're not actually putting enough money into that bucket in the first place. Whereas, um, and, and it's not always just about money. And of course, all of these rules can be broken and you can find anomalies. But from my experience studying it, most people generated wealth through concentration, not just through money, but also their their knowledge. You know, so like someone you you learn a lot about the internet, and you might have learned in two th three different fields, but and you created twenty companies, and one of them generated majority of the income in the end. So yeah, that's kind of how how I think about it. Well, the only thing I would add to that is like, where do you have an advantage? So if I go and be another slow mo trying to buy real estate, everyone can compete with me. I met a guy yesterday. He's worth about 20 million in, in uh, crypto. And he's like, all I do is crypto for the past eight years. And I, I was like, I'm a dumbass with that stuff. My like rich friend who does it, he tells me what he buys and I just copy him. And so I lose and I win and it does okay. But I'm not trying to get rich off it. I'm trying to like have fun and then, you know, preserve the wealth. And so I would think for anyone out there with your concentration, think about where you have an advantage. Most people are like, well, I'll just do whatever else to do. It's like, how are you going to win? That's why I don't do real estate. To I don't try to get rich off real estate because I have no advantage there. Hundred percent, man. Well, listen, man. We're gonna wrap up now. The last question I have for you: um, We've talked about so many things. <laughs> is but you, you've got to the point, man. Like where you know you've you've shared this yourself. You've you've probably earned enough money by this point to not have to work. And like you said earlier, a lot of people who get to that stage continue working. Um, but I'm curious, like, what's keeping you going right now? Like, why is it that you're focusing on what you're focusing on on now? Because I feel like a lot of people listening to this are trying to get to that stage. And it might take them 10, 20, or they might never get to that point. So we can probably save a lot of stress and hassle for some people just by hearing your perspective on that. I've been doing the blogging content sharing for 20 years. And so I'm going to still do it for the next 100 years. In terms of wealth creation for the people out there that are just getting started, the number one thing is to start right now. Number one thing is plant the seed today so the 10-year version of you will thank you. Like the 10-year version of me now is thanking Noah from 10 years ago to be like, thank God you started something. You tried a lot of things. You finally found something that worked. And so importantly, start today. Why do I still do it? Because it's fun. I mean, I enjoy it. Like I, I'm talking, like my career is like, I get to talk to you and share my experiences and experiment. And that's my job. Like that's crazy. And so it's just figure, it's trying things out immediately and getting it going. Uh, like I talked to this woman yesterday 
Elizabeth, I think that's her name. And she's like, yeah, I want to start a business. So I'm going to work on my one pager today. I was like, all right, well, is that really going to help you get a, get your business going? She's like, well, I'll, I'll go talk to, I'll interview some partners. I was like, is that going to get you going? It's like, no, I'm like, the hard part is just getting a customer. So I was trying to just push her on getting the result, which is a customer to give you money and get going right now. And so why do I do it? Because I, I get the results, right? Like seeing comments of people saying, I watched your video and I did a change. That's my food. And then secondly, getting to connect with people like you or Mr. Beast's manager or meeting Ali Abdal, like I'm getting to learn and hang out with like the most interesting people on the planet, in my opinion. And that's my career. Yeah. Uh, what 100%, else, like, what's more enjoyable? I can't disagree with that, man. Well, listen, brother, I appreciate you spent so much time today and we, we're going to have to do this in person when we uh Dude, I will see meet. you in New York. This went fast. In, I know. Well, th- just for people, I'm going to keep this in. When we joined, we'd booked two hours and I said, oh, by the way, we're here for two hours. And you're like, oh, man, that's long time. And I was like, oh, okay, we can cut it shorter. But you said, oh, if it's going well, we can keep going. So we, we did the two hours. So I take that as a compliment. <laughs> and we'll, we'll edit down probably anyway. But um, no, I appreciate you taking fun, so man. much I, I time. I think that's the part with all this work stuff. It should be fun. And I think we've been conditioned. Yeah. Our, our parents, there's like this problem that our parents' generation was, oh, you just work. And like your parents, like you just work. It's not supposed to be fun. Then you have the millennial generation. It's like, fuck it. Like, I don't want, if I have to do work longer than a week and I'm not rich. But I think <laughs> yeah. the middle ground is find stuff you're going to do for the next hundred years. And then you will, you know, you'll get the life you want as well. You enjoy it along the way, man, for sure. That's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did. If you did, go check out Bilal Zaidi's podcast of at Creator Lab or on YouTube, Creator Lab. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go surfing together. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Also, remember to subscribe to my newsletter. That's sendfox.com slash Noah. And create your own newsletter for free at sendfox.com. Finally, a couple of shout outs to my amazing team. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com. He makes all these episodes sound so damn good. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, Hubert, Sasa, and Jen from the Door team for all the magic y'all do. Uh, finally, shout out to Chris Gurian, Jessica, Victor, Max at the AppSumo team. You guys have such amazing copywriting for all the Sumo links at appsumo.com. I love all of y'all. I love the emails. Have a cloudy day. Psych. Make sure it's not too cloudy. But rainbows come after clouds, supposedly. What's your favorite? Finger. Finger.